my, my job is to somehow make them curious enough or persuade them by hook or crook to get more aware of themselves and where they came from and what they are into and what is already there and just to bring it out. This is what compels me to compel them. And I will do it by whatever means necessary. Welcome to the Black Girls Heal podcast, where we talk about healing our intimacy disorders, unresolved trauma, and building a healthy relationship with first ourselves and then others. Every episode, we will talk about advice you can apply today to break unhealthy patterns and grow in your self-worth. I'm Sheena Lachey, love addiction coach and trauma specialist. Let's begin. Hello, hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Black Girls Heal. I love you all so much, and it's always such a joy when I get to record a new podcast episode, so I hope that you are receiving this with the joy that I am putting out there. I hope that this finds you on a beautiful day and that you are staying cool if you are listening to this episode in the summertime and that you're just having great fun because you deserve it. So today's episode, I'm going to talk about three regrets that I have as a recovered love addict over mistakes or things I would have done that this version of Sheena, looking back, I would have done differently. Now, if you have listened to this podcast for a period of time, you know that typically when I talk about the things that have happened in the past, I really shy away from talking about things as regrets. I talk a lot about themes of self-forgiveness, of moving forward, of the fact that you only know what you know at the time, that at every point we're all doing our best, even if our best may look crazy in hindsight, or even if it looked pretty foolish in the meantime, but we didn't know what to do, we are always striving to live our best life. So looking back at the things we've done with shame or with contempt or with disgust does not help us move forward. In fact, it actually keeps us stuck. It keeps us stuck in this cycle of shame and self-criticism and the what ifs and what we could have done or should have done. And it just is not helpful. But I'm using that language today, one, because it's easier just to say regrets and quicker. (laughs) And I know that as we go through our healing journey and we reflect back on times, it is really easy to feel as if these are regrets, to feel like if if I would have gone back and known what I've known now, that things would have been better and, and healthier and happier. And I wouldn't have missed out on these opportunities and time. But Again, you know, something else I also talk about is we get the information that we need at the time that we're ready for it. And it takes sometimes for some of us, unfortunately, the the experience of going through certain cycles repeatedly of trying out what it looks like to try to negotiate with the enemy or what it looks like to water down our needs and our wants and to try to play the game to realize that the game is rigged and the best thing that you can do is actually choose yourself and not self-abandon. And for some of us, depending on our traumas and our stories, it takes longer than others. But once we get it, y'all, once we get it, and once we remember and, and know that we have always had the power, the world is open. Like the world and life and our ability to have love and connection and self-esteem and self-worth and pleasure does not end at 25. It does not end at 35. It doesn't end at 55. You know, whatever age or stage that we're in, it doesn't end when we're single or when we're partnered or married. We always have access to it. And as long as we have this trapped mindset, we're going to stay trapped. But with all that said, you know, last week we, 
I did a podcast on the five steps of healing from love addiction. And so I thought it would be great to have a supplemental episode to talk about a little bit of what that looks like, what I know it looks like for the women that I support who struggle with love addiction, including all of you. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So let's go ahead and jump on in. And I hope that you enjoy. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Before we get started, let's take a small break to say thank you to this week's sponsors. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Before we get started, let's take a small break to say thank you to this week's sponsors. So fun fact, this is actually my second time recording this podcast episode. So let's let's hope I hit the points that I want to the right way this time. Say a prayer for me. So like I said, I'm going to talk about three regrets that I have as a recovered love addict. Just a quick temperature check or just a quick, you know, stopping point uh, or a reset point, whatever it is, starting point. Uh, for those of you who don't know, love addiction is the persistent obsession of a person, a relationship, or the fantasy of who you want that person or relationship to be and mistaking that intense feeling for love. What I teach here as a, as not only recovered love addict, but also someone who specialized in treating love addiction as a therapist for over 12 years. And now I specialize in being a coach for women who struggle with love addiction. I was in Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous as well for several years. What I teach is that love addiction is a trauma response, right? So we look at our attachment styles like insecure attachment, avoidant attachment. And for those of us who struggle with love addiction, it can and does drive the most functional, rational, smartest, beautiful, talented, self-aware persons to make very extreme decisions of whether or not it's self-abandonment, whether or not it looks like stalking, whether or not it looks like getting to extreme financial distress, whether it looks like putting yourself in really dangerous positions, again, mentally, emotionally, physically, sexually, spiritually, for the promise of being in a relationship with someone or having that resolution or having them choose you. It goes really deep and it's beyond your own willpower, it's beyond your own logical mind. And when we try to address these things from logical mind and you should love yourself and you should do better, like none of that stuff works. If anything, it just makes you feel more like crap, like I was saying in the intro to the episode. So What I try to do here or what I do here is I try to break down what it looks like on the outside. So what it looks like as far as to be a love addict or a love avoidant or to be love deprived so that you can have words for what's actually going on so that you don't feel so alone, so that you don't feel like you're the crazy one of your friend group who can just get through breakups and move on and doesn't go through cycles and gets in relationships with nice people who lose, who don't lose themselves so that you can one, know that you're not alone, that this podcast has been downloaded millions of times for a reason. And so I want you to know you're not alone. So all that to say, that is, that's what we talk about here. And when you struggle with love addiction, like I've, like I've said, you do have a lot of moments in time when you have lost yourself, when you're like, oh, Like, why couldn't I have the same strength in this area as I've had in other areas? Or why was it that I did that? And is even what I'm doing right now love addiction? Like, is what I'm doing right now actually me being a good partner? Am I actually compromising in the way that 
all the other healthy couples, people who've been together for 10, 20 years, tell me that this is what it looks like to be in relationships and that nobody is perfect. And so maybe it is me and maybe, you know, all the kind of gaslighting stuff that we may do, you start to wonder if maybe your love addictive behaviors are normal and you're just doing it wrong. And so I'm going to share three things that I did as a love addict that I'm pretty sure are going to be common for many of us so that you know that these are not things that are healthy or these are not things that always work out in the way that you may want them to when you're coming from the perspective of love addiction. So the first thing that I have a regret for, and again, I'm using regret, not in a shaming way, but just for simplicity for this episode. (laughs) I'm not going to give that disclaimer again. But one regret that I have is going really fast in relationships. So really rushing to commitment to people without having the opportunity to date them for a, for a period of time to, to correctly assess them. Going too quickly when it comes to, in my mind, considering that person to be someone that I'm in a committed partnership with when they're still assessing me. <laughs> so, so what that would look like is maybe talking to someone. I'm still in a talking stage with some talking stage with someone. And we both mutually like each other, but I may have other suitors or other people who want to talk to me, but because I've made a decision that this person is it, and this is the one that I'm going to end up being with, that I stop paying attention to everybody else and I let them go or I tell them I'm dating someone when girl, one, you was only talking. And then two, even if you were dating someone, dating is not, you know, between love addiction and between growing up in the 90s as a millennial and watching TV shows where I was still at the stage in life or I grew up in the in the area of time where people weren't doing the whole talking to multiple people on TV and on sitcoms and stuff. On the shows that I watched growing up, when someone was dating someone, when someone started talking to someone, then they were in the going steady stage. You know, so in my worldview, once you start to talk to someone and once you say you like each other, y'all go together, right? <laughs> so we have that. We have my love addiction, this need to really be in relationships, to feel safe, to feel loved, to feel connected to a source of beauty and self-esteem that I didn't have access to at the time. And then also, once I got very involved in my religion and religious culture that really pushed, you know, getting committing, like you don't date anyone unless that person is going to be your husband, like unless, unless that person, unless you are going to court that person. And unless you, and even if you do that, you got to involve everybody into it. You got to tell your pastor, you got to tell your friends, and you got to tell everybody else. Like it, it was a very intense procedure. So just mixing all of those things together made it so that when I said yes, or when I said yes, either in my mind or out loud verbally to someone, it was a commitment from the start. And while that may have worked out for a lot of people or for some people, when you're strong, when you are someone who's a love addict and you can't, one, you cannot correctly assess the character of someone. And if anything, you're more attracted to people who will repeat your childhood patterns of neglect and emotional abandonment and support. You are not, as a love addict, you are not as connected to your own sense of self-worth. So you don't even realize that you have the opportunity to be choosy to be the person who gets to select a partner versus hoping that a partner comes to you and that one day you'll be gifted with someone. And, you know, this is, I'm not even talking about right now for those who may be struggling, for anyone who may 
be single and kind of struggling with the dating pool. I'm talking right now more about just mindset. So having a mindset that you are not enough, that you, you'll be lucky to get what it is that you want. And none of those things are usually conscious thoughts, but they show up in our actions. You know, I talk often about how our relationships with other people and our relationships with ourselves is a mirror that shows us exactly who we think that we are and what we think that we're worth by how we carry ourselves, by what we allow and what we don't allow, by what we're willing to negotiate with and what we're willing to take. If we actually believe that we are treasures, then there are a lot of things that we would not even entertain, right? Or even they wouldn't even be thoughts in our minds. But for many of us, we part of the stress of love addiction is the mental labor of trying to figure out, is is this because of me? Is this because of them? And do I deserve this? And what do I want? And this isn't really what I like, but nobody is perfect. You know, all the stuff I already said before. So those were some of the ways that I have gone fast and also rushing into a marriage and rushing into long-term committed partnerships because of really, like I said, wanting that sense of security of really wanting to be done. And anyone who struggles with love addiction, if you're connected to me on social media or if you know you're on the newsletter so you have my email address and all that stuff, let me know if this if you really if, if you connect to what I'm about to say here that that rushing to be done is almost like even if the person or the relationship is not everything that you want, there's like this sigh. It's <laughs> like oh, at least I don't have to worry about being out in the streets anymore. At least I don't have to worry about what I'm doing on a Saturday night because I got my movie buddy. At least, you know, I don't have to worry about this loneliness or the idea that I will one day die alone because I I, got, I have a partner. And so it's almost like this trade-off between this trade-off of you, you feel, you actually, you don't even, do you, do you, does it feel like a trade-off at the time? I want to say that in some ways you understand that you are settling in some ways, but it feels like the pros outweigh the cons. It feels like you're actually getting so much more, especially again, when you tie in what you see all the time and what you hear all the time, that nobody's perfect, that all relationships require work. You think that this is just part of what comes with the package. You know, I heard someone else call it the standard operating package of of long-term commitment and marriage. Like this is just part of the deal. So you just think that that's what's happening without realizing that you have secretly let in some of your sources of a repetition of your trauma from the past. So going fast in previous relationships robbed me from the opportunity to know that I was surprised in in the way of allowing people to actually earn my love. Love addicts, we are so... We're brimming over the top with love. We have so much love to give. We make amazing partners to the people that we're with, that we're with when we're in our love addictive state. We are so willing to compromise. We are so great at assessing who the person is and what they need and what they want and anticipating their needs. We are lovely. We are light. We are funny. We are endearing. We are sweet. And the problem is, there are two problems with that. One of the problems is typically we're giving it to someone who cannot really appreciate it because usually when we are in a love addictive state, we are attracted to someone who is love avoidant and we don't catch the fact that they are love avoidant until we are a little bit of time in and they start doing the pulling back thing. And then we start to do the 
chasing thing and then they pull back more. And then now we're in the cycle where we're trying to get it to be the honeymoon that it was in the first place, not realizing that there was already some things off from the beginning. So, so we're giving all this love to a relationship or to a whole or to a fantasy that's never going to actually be fulfilling. And then also in order to do that, as a love addict, we are so good at being chameleons and becoming needless and wantless to whatever the need is to, to fulfill the fantasy. We're so great at adapting. We're so great at compromising that we, by nature, self-abandon. We neglect ourselves. We just figure that this is just part of what it looks like to be in a relationship. And, you know, I was telling a friend the other day that where I am right now and my self-love and my self-identity When I even think about that statement right there of, you know, kind of judging this is what it takes to be in a relationship for you to be uncomfortable, for you to have to settle on what it is that you need to feel emotionally safe and and calm just to be in a relationship. It doesn't make sense to me. You know, there's a viral Eartha Kit clip from an interview from years ago. And I know we've all seen it and we've probably seen it multiple times. And it's just interesting for me to see how that clip hits um, hits me through all the different stages of my life and development as a woman, as a partner, as a person, as a human being. And just a cliff note, so I'm not, I'm not going to do it justice, but there's an interviewer that's asking Eartha Kitt, what does it take to be in a relationship with, with her and what are her thoughts on compromising. And the clip that really gets highlighted, the part of the interview that gets highlighted so much is Eartha saying, for what? For what? Compromise? Like she has this, 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 this giant laugh. And she's like, compromise? For what? For what? To be in a relationship? And she goes on to say, a relationship is beautiful, but it needs to be earned. Like it needs to be, it needs to be deserved, right? And the thing about love addicts, is we we make being in a relationship the prize at the expense of ourselves, at the expense of what is actually going to make us feel happy and whole as just human beings, period. We will mistake that just having a warm body around is better than not having anyone. And that's it's really hard because as love addicts, we've never got the opportunity to truly love ourselves, to truly be obsessed with ourselves, to truly understand that there is not only power with being ourselves, but that there's true enjoyment and connection and there's safety and security with being with ourselves. And so anyone that comes into our life needs to truly add to it. And adding to our life is not just giving me things to do on the weekend. It's not just giving me one more person to text throughout the the day, throughout the week. It's literally Does my life get better when this person is around? And when you're still in your love addictive state, you will say yes to that. (laughs) Like, you know, I was watching something else. You know, I spent a lot of time watching like the little clips and videos and stuff. And I was watching someone else. I was listening to someone else. And what were they saying? They were saying something to the effect of if you're going to, oh, this person, she was talking about whether or not you should have sex with a partner. And she was talking to, she's a dating coach and she was talking to her audience as straight women. So her point was like, before you sleep with a man, because she teaches a lot of feminine energy stuff. And so, you know, a lot of feminine energy teachers talk about the importance of not getting sexually intimate with a man too soon, not only because of how it 
may affect how you show up emotionally in a relationship, but also psychology of men, right? So I will let the feminine energy teachers talk more about that. But one of the things that she was saying for you to assess whether or not you should, in her opinion, sleep with someone, and she does qualify it with having your own sexual agency and choice, by the way, before anyone gets really upset, just because it's not my lesson, but I... I, I know where my I know where my folks' triggers are. But she goes on to say that you should decide, is this someone that I will be okay being connected to for a lifetime? And also, is this someone that I will be okay like rep- replicating who they are and bring another one in the world? And the thing about us love addicts is we're always going to say yes. We are always going to say yes. Why? Because we are in our love addictive state. No matter what is going on around, no matter what red flags or red red flagging, no matter what we feel, what no matter what we've already kind of sacrificed or settled on or compromised, we're always going to say yes because we are saying yes to the the opportunity to not be alone. We're saying yes again to like that that hidden fear, or maybe it's not so hidden of dying alone because of what that supposedly means, because of what the society, because of what, you know, all of our teachings, the way that our society will trump someone being in partnerships, even if they are miserable, even if they hate each other, even if they fight, we will automatically see someone who's been married for 30 years and be like, how'd you do it? Not knowing that someone might be getting hurt behind the scenes, that someone may be a married single woman behind the scenes, not knowing that someone may be they may have to be going outside of their relationship in, in a non-consensual polyamorous way, um, but going outside of their relationship to find joy and or find a little bit of relief. But we're just we just act as if people who are in partnerships are somehow better and have achieved a different uh, level of life. You know, they're on level 100 when everyone who is single is on level 20 not realizing that there are so many experiences in this world and they are all good as long as you are the one who is choosing them. That there is no more value in the person who's a mother versus the one person who does not have any biological children versus a person who has been married for four years versus one who's been married for 40. But behind this woman who chooses to be single as an older person or the one who chooses to have multiple boyfriends or girlfriends and to live her life what makes it wonderful is the act of choosing. And when I was in my love addictive state, I didn't understand that. It was all like, yeah, 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 well and good. Now where are the men at? <laughs> now, I think it's time to re-download this app because I'm feeling bored. I think, you know, whatever it may have been, and that makes you make mistakes. When you think that being in a relationship is the prize versus your love and your sanity and your happiness being the prize and every other person that comes into your life as an accessory, you know, I, you know, right now, the time I'm recording this Barbie movie is all the rage and I haven't seen it yet. But, you know, one of the taglines and one of the things that I'm kind of understanding from other people who've like said like different clips of what the Barbie movie is. And again, this may be completely wrong, but they talk about how Ken is the accessory. Like Barbie is such an icon. She's been able to do all these things and she's had this relationship with Ken all these years, but Ken was never the focus. It was who she was that made her everything that she 
As our country continues to grow and make new meaning of the intersection between current and historical events, it is so important to stay connected to the voices and the leaders who are influencing what progress, connection, equality, and truth mean to us as Black people. The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection from some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Here are a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, nuanced, and Black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths on NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. When healing from an intimacy disorder, one of the first things you have to do right after getting clear on your patterns of addictive behaviors, avoiding behaviors, and living in deprivation is clearing out the roots that caused it. Clearing out the experiences, the traumas, the narratives that have kept you stuck all of these years. In my signature coaching program, The Recovery School, you have the opportunity to reveal the sources of low self-worth, to learn about how old roles in your family have resulted in codependency, shutting down, and not letting others in, and also to learn how to talk to and connect to your inner child in a way that is soothing and healing. This is the next step to reframing the old stories that have plagued you for years to evolve to being a healed and loved woman and having access to the love and the relationships and self-worth that you've always wanted. Learn more and get started by going to therecoveryschool.com. Again, that is therecoveryschool.com. Hey, we hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. Let's take a quick break to say thanks to this week's sponsors. She is, and that she could have fully herself and her identity, and Kim would be there, but she wouldn't get, lose herself in that identity, which leads me to number two. Ladies, I am so excited to share that for this podcast episode, I've partnered with eHarmony, the dating app that helps people find real genuine connection. And for me, this app has absolutely held true to their promise, connecting me to a truly incredible relationship and partnership with someone who truly gets me. Dating apps can be so hard when it comes to filtering through persons who you may not have anything in common with or who may not be super serious about the process and committed. With eHarmony's one-of-a-kind compatibility quiz, you get a baseline standard in every match of your compatibility around values, communication styles, likes and dislikes, energy levels, and so much more. My experience with eHarmony has always been superb with not only the quality of men I was matched with, but also with our compatibility when dating, eliminating the stress of feeling as if I was wasting my time. So join the dating app that helps users find their most authentic relationships. eHarmony, get who gets you and start free today. Hey, we hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. Let's take a quick break to say thanks to this week's sponsors. The second regret that I 
have had when it comes to working through love addiction and going, getting to a place of recovery is, I want to say a year or two ago, who, who knows, maybe longer. What is time? I feel like I say that every other episode. What is time? I don't even know anymore. But there is a phrase going around on these internet streets and around in like social company and everything that talks really preached, literally preached to be his peace, that for you to be in a healthy partnership as a woman, if you're someone who dates men or is in relationships with men, to be his peace. And if I would have been able to go back and do something different, I would have been more of a headache. <laughs> I would have been causing so much more shit. I would have been. <laughs> Hold on, let me, let me talk a little bit more about being his peace. Being his peace is the idea that if when you are in relationships with a man or when you're in a relationship with a man, that you are bringing not any of the drama, not any of the trauma. And if someone pulls up a clip where I've said something to this effect, please chalk it up to life experience and forgive a girl. Because <laughs> who, who knows what I may have said, because this podcast has been around for a minute and I've talked about relationship stuff, obviously. Hopefully it's in the right context. Sometimes when I go back to my previous teachings, I'm like so scared to listen to it. And I'm like, oh, it was good. I was on the right track. <laughs> but you know, but you never know. Your girl can grow and evolve. And I will take y'all on the journey as I grow and evolve as well. But the idea of being their peace and not bringing all this drama, right? And like being a safe place for the person to come home to. Like they work so hard and they really want to make you happy and all this stuff. and. If you are peaceful, then they will be peaceful. And here's, here's like the, the secret thing or the not so secret thing that I think half of the women in the world know this already and the other half learn through time and experience. Every relationship that I've been in with a really great man, like a truly great man, um, it didn't work out, but they were great men. And by the way, love addicts, if a relationship doesn't work out, that doesn't equal failure. Kind of tying this in with the first point, some of us are very focused on getting a ring by spring, almost at, at any means necessary, or if it doesn't work out, it feels like just a big defeat. But again, remembering that we get to be choosy. Like when you're choosing a life partner, that is for life. <laughs> like monogamy is for life. So you get to decide from the people that you are with whether or not this will work long term. and. Luckily, there are lots of amazing people in the world and you could really get along well with an amazing person. But when it comes to building a lifetime relationship and, and story together, the pieces may not fit. And so though it may be sad and though it may be disappointing, it's okay to let that go. And some of y'all listening, there are some people that it doesn't fit and you need to let that go. You need to let it go with love. And with best wishes, because you love this person and they may love you too. But if it's not clicking, the longer you wait to try to make something work that does, isn't designed to work, just because, you know, they're a square peg and you're a round hole and both of your shapes are fully formed and okay as themselves, but y'all need to find the people who are the right fit for you. It's taking you time from having that opportunity. It's taking time from them being, from being able to have that opportunity. And y'all can, y'all can detach with love and light and freedom for each other. But but what I found from each of those partners is that those men loved it. 
loved it when I was connected to who I am and who I was, when I talked my shit, when I pushed the pushed the limits, when I gave them a hard time, when I made them work for it, when I got mad at them and they had to get that shit right. They loved it. If anything, I saw more disappointment from the men that I dated when I would go into that needless, wantless, whatever you want to do, I'm okay with. When they would do something that would cross my boundaries and I would just try to kind of like, you know, be his piece. <laughs> like they would not like that. But when I was starting shit, they loved it. And here's the thing about starting shit. It wasn't about picking fights. That's not what I mean. Picking fights just for fight's sake. It's because sometimes, like, they know when they did wrong. Like, they know, and sometimes the wrong is not even, you know, I think, especially with the nature of this podcast and, you know, the the types of relationships that many of us have, the doing wrong doesn't mean that someone's cheating on you. It doesn't mean that they are being an asshole or calling you a name or you know, hurting you or anything like that. That's not, that's not even the level of what I, anything that I mean, but I mean like having a voice and having an opinion and saying, no, this is what I want. And this is what I need. And I don't like that you said that or did that. And again, it didn't have to be anything that was like, like there was like no name calling or insults or anything like that. It wasn't, I'm not talking about the narcissist, the narcissist, the narcissist, hate when you have an an identity, (laughs) an opinion, a point of view, but fully formed, let me say it this way, fully formed, confident people want to be in relationships with fully formed, confident people. They don't like or respect yes men. They don't, there's nothing to rub up against. There's nothing to help them grow. There's not, there's no personality. There are millions of beautiful women in the world. We we walk outside, we throw a stone, we'll hit a beautiful woman. We're all fucking gorgeous. We are all treasures. We're all educated. We're all, you know, capable. Like all of that stuff is, um, here, stick with me for a minute. It's all a dime a dozen. What is different is you. What is different is your ideas, your opinion, your sense of humor, what lights you up. And if you get into a relationship with someone and you let all that stuff go, then what is there to actually add to it, right? And I think, I know as love addicts, it is so easy but when you are esteeming the relationship and you're esteeming the fantasy and you're esteeming getting this going and you're afraid of losing this person, you're afraid of losing the relationship, you're afraid of rocking the boat, you're afraid of they might get mad at me and leave. We need to get our Arthur kid on and be like, well, then leave, then leave. And you can, it's not about, no, it is about that. (laughs) I'm just going to say it. It is about getting to a place where you realize that you do not need, you do not need a romantic partnership to survive and to live. That is different than you wanting one. And it's different than you being like, oh, like, I would love to have a partner. Those are like healthy realms of desire. But when you feel like you need to have a relationship and you need to have this person and you have so much fear about, well, what's going to happen if I actually say what it is that I want or I don't let what just happened go or I say, hey, I need to talk to you or I do what I hear some people do, which is just like, I don't like it. So I'm just going to kind of disappear for a while and you're going to lose access to me and I'm not even going to 
I'm not going to sit you down and have a conversation that says, you know, this is how you cross my boundary. I'm just going to let you figure it out. What if they actually leave? Then it's time for them to go. You know, one of the, one of the promises or one of the declarations that I made to myself years ago is I deserve to have a man that fights for me, a man that sees my value. And before letting me leave, he will do everything that he can to keep me and to make this right, that he sees me for who I am and the treasure that I am or what I bring to his life. And if a man doesn't feel that, then that is not on me, that is on them. You know, again, as love addicts, we are so self-aware. If anything, the problem with love addicts is learning how to scale back how easy it is for us to be like, well, maybe there's something that I could have done. And looking at our point of view, the thing that I always have to talk with my love addictive clients with is they are so quick to like be like, well, this is what he did. Because usually it's with in straight couples. Not that this only happens in straight couples, but most of the women that I talk to about this stuff are usually in relationships with men. But they will say, I feel like there are so many people who are like, of course. <laughs> There are times when I'm like recording a podcast or like, man, I wish I could see people's faces when <laughs> when I'm like saying this just to like gauge the room. But with my love addictive, love addicted clients, I will, they'll be telling me about something that's happening with the person that they're dating or the relationship that they're in. And they're very quick to, after they say that person's part, then they say, you know, well, who can blame them? Or you know, nobody's perfect and all this stuff. And I'm like, girl, you are overcompensating for what is bad behavior. And whether or not that bad behavior is intentional or not, it still isn't making you feel good. And so let's call it what it is. And it's okay for you to call it what it is. That doesn't mean that you're saying this person is a bad person. It doesn't mean that you're saying that they don't care about you. You know, love addicts, we're really good at protecting people. And that starts in childhood, we're going to talk about trauma. We are like to survive. There are so many different ways our trauma can manifest, right? And, and our attachment styles and everything else. And one thing that love addicts have mastered is codependency as a survival technique. So for you to learn how to survive as a little girl who turns into a love addict, grows into a love addict, is to see your parents or caregivers and other people and you have to learn from a very early age to push down what it is that you need or you're pressured or beat or done whatever, like whatever it is, you learn to push your stuff down and you do your own self-gaslighting, cognitive dissonance, whatever, to, to see this person and to make exceptions and to make excuses for what they do. Um, so, you know, they're, they're doing their best. You know, I know my parents love me and they're doing their best and like, you know, they gave me everything that they could and all this, like we do all this stuff. And we start off making excuses for people very early. And then we become young women and older women who do the same in our relationships instead of just being like, nah, they, they don't need to do that. And if they do, this isn't the right place for them. So to bring this back to the second regret that I have, sometimes I think about earlier relationships before I got more connected to my voice, or actually I think about other relationships, more recent relationships where I will just say, I don't like that. Or like, they will know when I'm upset and I'm not like playing the games and doing all this stuff and how quickly, how quickly they pop right back into place and how even more so they make sure not to do that shit again. <laughs> As the 
they know I'm not the one. And I'm not the one. And like, I don't need to go around and like declare, you're not going to disrespect me. It's just an energy that I have. It's like, there are certain boundaries and limits that when I fully own it, and that's the thing about what uh, uh, across that place that many of us may be finding issues with. Well, here are people who talk about, you got to set your boundaries. You got to set your standards. And you're like, if anything, I'm more crystal clear than anything with everybody about what my boundaries are. And, you know, you go around telling people from the first day, the second day, you know, in your dating profile, if you do online, in in conversation, you're like, this is what my standards are and this is what I want and you're not going to do this and da, da, da. And, you know, it's not about having this aggressive stance. It's about embodying it. You know, with the examples that I give very often on this podcast, all those examples hopefully are communicating that this isn't about you going around with like a billboard that says, if you want to love me, this is what it is, is that you already know what your requirements and standards for entry are. And so when someone is, when they ain't acting right, they don't get through. I don't need to go to you and tell you, you know, if you are going to want to get on this ride, you know, this is the, this is the, the cost of of the of the of entry they just need to come with their fare like you just need to come with your pocket ready and then then we'll see (laughs) then we'll see how it goes you know but but yeah looking at how how quickly the response is with people who who truly care about you or they truly want to have access to you how quickly that is. I look back at other experiences and I'm like, girl, you should have told that man from the beginning what you thought instead of you like beating your head about it and like worrying about saying the wrong thing or, you know, only going to God in prayer about it. You like, you should have just told them you should have, instead of, you know, not talking to them for three days because, you know, they made you mad. You should have called them as soon as it happened and saved yourself three or four days worth of freaking upsetness, you know? So again, but I had to go through that stuff to understand it, to learn it, to grow, and also to understand the cost. You know, I I know now what it looks like. I mean, as much as I can, you know, again, I'm still growing and evolving. God willing, I still have more time to grow and learn lessons. And, you know, what Sheena, who's 48, knows is going to be very She's going to be a different level and a different version than a woman at 38. I wish, Lord, I wish I could talk to her. I wish I could like, that's something I do wish. I wish I could like talk to the older versions of myself sometimes and be like, girl, what's tea? Tell me, tell me what it is that I need to know. <laughs> save, save me some drama and some trauma. Like hook, hook a girl out with some more self-knowledge. That that would be awesome. But I am learning how to connect more to my quantum self for anyone who knows what that means. Shout out to y'all. But yeah, so anyways, I would have been a headache. I would not have been anybody's peace. And again, y'all, that is very different than causing fights just because. And those of us who are not used to being happy, like that we will intentionally cause distress just because we don't know how to be in our own personal peace. But yeah, I would for sure, if anyone was pushing my boundary or trying to exploit my kindness, trying to like give me tests, because that's the other thing, y'all. I will say, I will say that I have 
just seeing across the board that even the nicest of people, nicest of menfolk, they will be opportunists and they will go along with, get away with whatever you allow them to get away with. And so if they see that they can do like the slow burn of starting off really hot in some areas and like starting off very intentional, and they know that once they get you hooked and once they get you on board, that they can kind of slow down and, you know, date nights and other overtures and all that other stuff can like slowly disappear, but you're just going to kind of stay and go along with it because of how things were before, who they, who they are on the inside and all that other stuff. They're going to get away with it. They're going to, they're going to be lazy about it. And so you got to make sure that when you are assessing and taking your time to get to know people that you can see what this looks like. So that's something that I actually didn't say with the going fast too. So it wasn't just, so going back to point number one really quickly, it wasn't just that it disallowed me from being able to hold myself as a prize or to allow myself to test out or to meet other people or to let other people earn my love. It's more so that when you're going fast in a relationship, you don't know who they are. I don't care if y'all have 10 hour, 12 hour conversations when y'all first meet and y'all together every day for months at a time. You do not know that person until you've gone through some seasons with them. You know, one thing that's left over from grad school that I didn't always follow, (laughs) but it has stuck in my mind. I got my master's in marriage and family therapy and had the most amazing professors who were also therapists themselves, couples and families therapists themselves. And one thing one professor said that I never left, though I didn't always follow, is that you need to see the person that you were dating through all four seasons, like a year. You need to see how they go through the cycle of a year before you start to make commitment decisions of who this person is. And that allows enough time for you to get through the honeymoon period, which is a biological scientific experience that affects, that's connected to our hormones. Those hormones go down and even the best of experiences between six to nine months. And so getting past that period, seeing how they operate through holidays, if there are any anniversaries that are triggers, to see if they keep the same energy that they did at first, to see what it looks like after the beginning stages of impressing you fall through and what that looks like, you know? And so I just, again, I know that there are other teachers who don't teach the same. So this is like with, with most things, you have to take what you need and leave the rest. Find the, find the teaching that aligns most with your spirit. But what I can say as someone who has rushed into marriages and engagements and in other relationships with really, really great guys. Yes, some really amazing men that it was only with more time after those periods that I was able to see things that I did not catch at the beginning. And that's not to say that those things weren't existing but my eyes weren't open to it. And my nervous system was so still alight with the pleasure of everything that was happening that I wasn't grounded. And once I got grounded, I was like, oh, you are really great, but this, this is not going to work, you know? Or maybe it will work, but you need to have people who are willing to compromise in the ways that you are. 
And sometimes many of us are in relationships with people that we are willing to do a lot of compromising. We're willing to lose ourselves. We're willing to, you know, change what we do in our social circles or what we do in our everyday life or where we live. And what we, we mistake the compromise and we don't see how one side is a little bit more lopsided than the other and that that's not fair until it's too late a lot of times as love addicts. So we are 45 minutes in. Let me go ahead and give you all this last one. And before I do that, you know, the way that you work through this is you need to learn how to become obsessed with yourself. So in the, this point that I was making about how we can trump and romanticize relationships and them being the prize and like, no matter how much we may want to say that that's not the case, like really, really kind of being in a rush or really having this hope or thinking that having this is going to make our lives somehow better. And in the desire to make our life better in that way, we'll make some sloppy mistakes. And the trick to work through that is to become obsessed with yourself, to learn how to truly love and be connected with yourself. Okay. So that is the goal. So I am doing some extra bonus lessons on becoming obsessed with yourself and it's accessible in our members club. So there's a members club where you can join on YouTube and subscribe. You can join on Instagram and on Apple podcasts. If you go to your little podcast player, there is a place where you can start getting started on the lessons and you can cancel at any time. And they are going to be lessons that we're going to talk more about this and take some deep dives and do some ask me anything for us to start to build this relationship with ourselves. So just want to let you know that that is an option for you wherever you are on the platforms that you already use to listen to this podcast. Okay. Third step. Third step is making excuses for them. Or third, not third step. The third, I'm so used to doing steps. The third regret is making excuses for them. So one regret that I have, just to say the full statement out, one regret that I have as a recovered love addict is whenever I, I have dated some people in the past is making excuses for the things that have happened. So excuses sound like things like, well, you know, he's, I'll tell a friend or a group of friends what's going on or what was said. And then I'll follow up with, you know, but he said this, but then, you know, I know he's really working on it because of this, or I'm really paying attention to it. And, you know, this is something that I don't really like, but, you know, I'm staying in control of my boundaries and I'm staying mindful of my, my thought. And here's what I really want to say about this. When I look back in hindsight of all the things that I made excuses for and all the things that I was like, well, he's working on it or, you know, he's, he's aware of it. And he already told me that this wasn't going to be an issue or whatever else. Every single one of those things was absolutely right on the money. All the things that my friends saw that they were like, oh, girl, I'll know about that. All the things that I saw that I was like, oh, I don't know about that. It was always right. It was always right on the money. And this is what I mean about being in such a rush and a commitment to make something work, just to have something, just to be done with the process. And I know this sounds really simplified because when you're in it, the thought is not... I'm going to rush and make this work and make excuses for this person and see the the benefit, like see the positives and try to be strength focused with them. 
just because I'm in a rush to not be single anymore. For some of us, we are conscious of that. But for most of us, it's like you're caught in these feelings with this person, right? And especially if they're a really great person, you are really just trying to, you're trying to meet them where they are while being while being conscious of yourself. And that's if you're more further along in your love addiction. When you are first starting in your love addiction, you don't even see it at all. If anything, how, what usually happens in this area, if you start to tell your friends a little bit about what's going on and they give you what may be an appropriate reaction of what's happening, like your friends nine times out of 10 are right. 9.999 times out of 10, your friends are right on the money about what they see and what they observe and that you deserve better and you deserve more and that this relationship is harder than it needs to be or this compromise is bigger than what you're making it out to be. Like this is a huge breach of what it is that you want and you deserve and your friends see it and they call it and it's uncomfortable because again, you see this really great person that you really like and that they hopefully really like you too. So it's mutual, right? Like you're already 10 steps ahead. <laughs> if you're a love addict and you've had a series of relationships with unavailable people. So, so if you get someone that like, you're like, we're both in this, then you really don't want to hear it. You really don't want to hear what your friends say. So, you know, this is something that happens across the board, whether or not you first start as a love addict or you're, you're at the beginning stages of your journey as a love addict and haven't really gotten too far in your healing process. Or if you are one of my other mature ladies and like myself is you will start not telling your friends what's up. <laughs> you will start not telling them all the details and everything because you already know what they're going to say and you don't want to hear it or you feel like they're going to be unfair or you're going to feel like they're not going to get the whole context because you know they're not there for all the conversations and they haven't seen all the things that your partner has done. So you start to keep it mute and keep it cute. And you know, it's, that's a really hard thing to try to figure out because on one hand, you know, there are a lot of people who are of the wisdom and the mindset to keep people outside of your relationship because of jealousy and the evil eye, because people don't always know your relationships, because part of what it is to be in relationships is to have these moments of stress and conflict and working things out and you know, figuring out what it looks like when, when two healthy human beings who still come from different backgrounds, even if you have the same values and everything else, you know, y'all have different norms. So you have the norming and the storming stage, right? Like there's going to be these moments. And so keeping people out of that and allowing yourself to work through that as a couple, right? So there's, there's wisdom in that. And, and sometimes two things can be true at the same time. Sometimes it is very important for you to be mindful of not inviting other people into your relationship and being very discriminate with that and being very protective of the union that you have. But one, when you're dating, you are not in a union yet. Okay. Again, throw back to those of us who are so quick to rush into relationships and commitments with people. When, when we give that stuff very prematurely, people who have not earned it, when you are dating, you are assessing if you're someone who wants to do monogamous or at least, or at least long-term relationships. Dating is for assessment. Dating is not, we're just spending time, we're just hanging out until we get married. Like when you're dating, you're spending time with someone if you want to have a long-term monogamous, monogamous relationship to assess if this is someone who, who is on par with what it is that you want. And so if they ain't, then that is a successful dating relationship. If you figure that out, 
And it's also successful if you figure out that they are what you want. It's successful both ways, as long as you are true to you. But there is truth in not letting other people inside of your relationships, but there's also truth and allowing yourself to be accountable and to tell your friends what's going on, your friends that know you, your friends who have a neutral eye and a neutral opinion, your friends who are hopefully wise. If you have friends that are also recovering love addicts or love avoidance, so they are very quick at cutting people off, but not always in a like, I'm embodied in my self-esteem, but just like they're really quick at disposing people. Maybe those aren't going to be the best people always for that feedback, like those are usually the really great people for getting you grounded and getting you out of your head and getting you out of crisis because they're so good at kind of doing the detaching thing, but also they don't really know how to dial that back. So that's why it's really important to be in community spaces with other women who are also healing from this, who are more love balanced and more love available. That's why I have coaching programs for this because I for sure, I for sure have gone to multiple people in my friend group. Some of them are also therapists because I'm trying to figure out what the hell do I do? (laughs) Like, how do I think about this? How do I feel about this? And I've had the source opinions from all these different people and I could get different responses from everyone. And then it's like, okay, well, it's great to get it out and process it, but also what do I do when it comes to this, right? And when you have people who are securely attached versus people who are more avoidant and people who are like, I have one friend right now, as you may be listening, I have one friend right now who hates men. <laughs> she hates men. And she's like, um, fuck them. <laughs> I love her so much. I-, I love you so much if you're listening to this. I just, she's the best at getting me grounded. And, and sometimes, and she's always, she's usually right in a lot of, in a lot of areas too. But sometimes you need to have like a balanced perspective, you know? And so I really, that's why I offer like coaching and like other stuff like that, because getting your mind around this and what this looks like, it's really, really hard. So yeah, the regret of making excuses for them, I would have seen it for what it was and seen seeing what they were able to bring and what they weren't able to bring with a more sober mindset and made a decision from there. Not how I wanted it to be, not saying, well, I need to come to them and tell them this is what I need. And, you know, and that is something that I know has been in previous podcast episodes where I talk about really having these types of conversations. But here's, and even in this podcast episode, I talked about confronting things. Here's the difference, at least the difference in my mind. And, and hopefully this is what I've communicated in the past. When you go to people with these things, it is not because I'm telling you this because this is your list of things to do. I'm just informing you. Like, I'm informing you that this was hurtful to me. One, because this is part of me standing up for my inner child and the part of me that has never really stood up for herself and again, just goes along to get along. So that's one of the reasons why I'm having this conversation. Not because I need something from you, but because I deserve to show up for myself. That's number one. And the second thing is, I'm just informing you that that this is what I'm what I need and why this was hurtful. And but I'm not going to teach you how to do this. I'm not going to help you how to do this. That is for you to do, because if you if you get caught in this like teaching and helping thing, y'all, and you just feeling like, well, I'm just going to over explain this one time. I'm going to help someone do this one time, inviting a dynamic where you're going to be doing this often. 
you think that is a one-time thing, but really you're in a relationship with a partner that doesn't know how to, or doesn't want to, or can't show up for themselves in this area. And so it starts a pattern of you overcompensating. So there are certain areas of my life, again, you know, as love addicts, we are amazing partners. It's not even about being afraid that I'm going to become such a hard ass. And when I say I, I mean the general I, I mean all of us, when it comes to showing up for yourself. I think sometimes the fear in having boundaries as a love addict and a codependent, like part of our superpowers is being generous, is being compromising, is being able to like look for resolution and stuff. So to have boundaries feels mean. And when we don't have people who are accurately and effectively helping us with codependency, it's like we have to go from one extreme to self-abandoning ourselves to be being a complete hard ass and not really caring about other people and, you know, being the stone cold, you know, stone cold Steve Austin. Like we have to be like stone cold and inflexible, but that's not the case. So all the things that we know that happens in committed partnerships and relationships, the negotiation, the growth, the fact that someone's going to get on your nerves and they're not going to be this perfect robot that does everything that you say, because when you get into relationships with someone, you're not only committing to them, someone that's taking care of you really well, but you are committing to realizing that this person is a human being in your house and in your life as well. And you are also part of that dynamic, right? So all of that stuff happens. But, and, and also you are always going to be open and available to doing that. You know, I, I heard a study the other day, which talked about how, and I can't remember the exact prompting of the question, but it was something to effect of the hypothesis. It was something to the fact of, that they were testing between the genders. Do both of the genders need to be in heterosexual relationships? Do they need to be in love with someone to be willing to compromise and make it work? Like, yeah. Do, do they need to actually be in love to actually do the work of the relationship, to do the labor of the relationship, to keep it going? And for men, men have to feel like they are enjoying the relationship. They have to feel in love to actually do the work. But for women, women will stay and do the work of a relationship, whether or not they feel in love or not. Like it's about the commitment. Like women are always going to pull their weight. So we have that. And then add on love addicts and people who are like grew up their whole life knowing how to read people and be very sensitive to their needs and sensitive to changes in the atmosphere and everything else. Even the most recovered of women, she still has that as a superpower. And just adding on to that, now she's very in tune with herself, right? So you're always, you're not going to lose that ability the more you start to love yourself. Hopefully what changes is you are in relationships with people who bring their whole selves and that you don't have to play mother or counselor or caseworker for them, that you are in relationships with another complete human being. So when it comes time to do that heavy lifting work of the relationship, that you're not doing double the load or triple the load in some areas, right? So that is what I have for y'all today. This is a longer episode. So I hope that y'all enjoyed it. Actually, ironically, I guess this, I guess this is a meaty topic because the other version of this episode was a similar length, but I like this one a lot better. So this is the one y'all are going to get to hear. So yeah. So again, on uh, YouTube, Instagram, and right now, Apple Podcasts at the time that I'm recording this. I'm doing a series on obsession, on becoming obsessed with yourself. 
And so again, you can get those lessons, cancel at any time, subscribe, join, comment if you're at a place where you can add comments. And then if you would like to learn from me live, we are still enrolling and registering for our Reclaiming Me workshop for those of us who have feel like we've lost ourselves. We lost ourselves in our relationships and our identity that we have really had a lot of maybe relationship disappointments or places that we have lost our voice and our sense of self. Reclaiming Me is literally about reclaiming yourselves. And it's a full day workshop that will be live in Charlotte, North Carolina. And then also there'll be virtual tickets for those who cannot travel. I've had some people message me and say, are you going to do this workshop in other cities? Because at first I was going to also do this in Chicago. We, I ended up closing that date. I'm only going to do one location so that I can just focus on one and just go deep. And I do not have any plans on having any other live workshops next year. And that includes the Healed and Love Woman Retreat as well. That is in Portugal in September. So I'll just leave it there. So if those are things that you would like to learn about me, learn from me live, or these are topics that would be really helpful for you to learn from me live, these are your last opportunities to do so. So for the Reclaiming Me workshop, you can go to blackgirlsheal.org slash reclaim. And for the retreat, if you have been dragging your feet on the retreat and you're like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. You can go to blackgirlsheal.org slash retreat and you can watch videos to see what that's like. There are two spots left to before joining us. So watch testimonials from other women, read what we're going to be doing for those two years. We're going to be talking a lot about trauma and healing and also bringing our best selves into our relationships and really focus on what that small cohort of women want to learn about for those two days. And so... So yeah, that is it, y'all. Again, sending you so much love and I will see you in the next one. Take care of yourself.